0: Welcome to Stratford Lutherans Sermon Podcast. I am Pastor Alex and this is a podcast that each week will deliver a new sermon message. These are taken directly from our ongoing sermon series and you can find them in on YouTube if you would like to watch them, but these are here for your listening pleasure. And I am so thankful that you have taken this opportunity to hear this particular sermon. And as always, if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. I am on Instagram at quorum.dale.life. You can reach me at Undying Light Ministries as I host that podcast, Undying Light. And I'm a co-host of a Matter of Truth podcast. This is just a means to allow my sermons to uh, be listened to at your convenience as a listener. And again, I just want to say I am very appreciative of you taking this opportunity to listen. Now, here's this week's sermon. Tonight's sermon sermon message is taken from John in the 19th chapter, beginning in the first verse. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it has been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has a greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and Aramaic Gabbatha. Now, it was the day of preparation for Passover, and it was about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to him, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So they delivered him over to be crucified. This year we've been preaching kind of in a unique structure in our church. We've been working through the Gospel of Luke, and we've been taking this on through the eyes of the Old Testament. And that's been kind of our theme as we've worked ourselves through the season of Lent and into our weekend services of Holy Week. But as I started to ponder the sermon for this week, I was really not so much drawn to just going that approach, but I wanted to do something that I did on Christmas Eve, and that is put ourselves into the text not as the apostles or anybody there but just as a bystander i want us to think about how this all unfolded how the crowds would stand there and shout to crucify him you were in that crowd with those people shouting that because it was our sin that was hung to the cross And so as we place ourselves into this crowd, as we start to walk ourselves through this text, I want to pay really close attention to not only the crowds that were there, but more importantly, to the apostles. What did they see, feel, and experience? What type of emotions were rushing through their minds? How was Peter capable, one of the most beloved apostles, in fact Peter was in the inner circle of apostles one that many sought after for wisdom and advice So if we take this approach through tonight I think it would pay us well to visit this text through the eyes of the apostles in the crowds at hand So picture this Last night we have the last supper we have the Passover meal that Jesus is enjoying with his apostles the last meal that he will enjoy and in this moment he gives us the institution of the Lord's Supper and shortly after he goes out to the garden to pray bringing with him Peter James and John only to come back and find those three individuals sleeping because the hour was late and they were tired they had spent a whole week walking with Jesus and doing all of the things that would be required of them during the Passover week. So naturally, they would have been exhausted. And Jesus comes and questions them a few times. Wake. Be watchful. Be ready. And they continue to fall asleep. And it is in these moments that Jesus is praying that the Pharisees and scribes show up. And Judas is with them the one who betrays him. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be Peter in this situation? Here he is at the Last Supper. He was told by Jesus that he was going to deny him three times. To which he actually says this, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Confusion, anger, Maybe even courage stirring up in the mind of Peter. Because he wants to project this image to his Lord that he would be willing to go to the ends of the earth just so Jesus doesn't die. He will fight until the very end. And sadly, Peter in this situation doesn't understand what is about to come and why it must happen being singled out by Jesus at the supper and then to be called into the garden only to be rebuked in the garden for falling asleep. Peter's story is always interesting to me because I find that his behavior is a lot like ours. His behavior of wanting to be zealous in the right moments often is being zealous in the wrong time. See, when, G- when Peter should have been zealous, he should have been in the garden praying with Jesus. Not at the table defending his soon forecasted denial. So as Jesus is in this garden, he's there with James and John. And he's sitting there praying through the evening. Matthew records the words of Jesus instructing them to sit and watch. Not once, But on two separate occasions, Jesus comes back and finds them asleep. And it's at the second time that he comes back, he turns to him and says, The hour is at hand. I'm being handed over to the hands of sinners. If you're interested in the prayer that Jesus preaches, John chapter 17 records that. But it is in this moment that begins the events that take place on this day. See, it wasn't just a, an early morning trial. This took place all through the night from Thursday into Friday. The fact that he would go through mock trials and he would stand before the leaders of, of, his, of the Pharisees and of the Roman authority. He would be questioned repeatedly only to find himself continue, continued on the course to being crucified this morning. I find it interesting that as Jesus is handed over to the authorities here in this crowd, Peter draws his sword. He sees in this moment that this is the time. This is where I can be zealous. I'm going to be courageous. And he cuts off the ear of a servant. Another time when we ought to not be zealous, Peter takes the charge. Only to find out how Wrong, he was. As Jesus tells him, put your sword away. And he goes to proceed to heal the servant's ear. After this arrest, Peter trails at a distance to the crowd as they take Jesus on. And as he is watching from a distance, he's approached three times. Three different times. Only to deny Jesus each time. The disciple that everybody looked up to, who always seems to have the right answers when Jesus asked, is the one who ultimately denies him. But thankfully, Peter's story doesn't end here with the denial of Jesus. If we were to continue reading through the Gospel of John after the resurrection, he is restored by Jesus. If you love my sheep. Share the gospel with them. This is the charge placed upon Peter after the resurrection. But see, we're not quite there yet. It is still only Friday. And so Peter is going through these motions of denying Jesus through the night, to which he does the third time before the cock crows in the morning. And he leaves and he is weeping bitterly, realizing He had just done exactly what he was so zealous a few hours ago about not doing. I find ourselves, as I mentioned, to be very familiar with the way Peter is. How many times as Christians do we miss an opportunity to share the gospel? How many times as Christians do we even stand and say, Oh, yeah, you know, I'm not really a Christian. I don't really believe in that stuff only to go home and realize what you had just said and done. Maybe it's not even that drastic. Maybe it's just something subtle. Like somebody might ask you a question and you just batter around the bush, brush it off, push it aside. We find ourselves always in these situations because this is the separation between us and the world. The rest of the world looks at us for answers. They seek, but they do not find. And yet, we as Christians sometimes are acting just like Peter does, more closely even as the nation of Israel did, where they took the promise that God had given to Abraham and concealed it. A promise that was meant to be for the whole world. Israel was supposed to be God's chosen people, and in that, they were supposed to share the good news just as we as the church are to stand and be God's chosen people to share the good news with everybody. As we turn back to the story, we find ourselves seeking out Peter. And I find this question interesting. Why does Jesus let Satan sift Peter? It's an interesting connection that brings us back to Job. In Job chapter 1, Satan is going to and fro on the earth, and he's called into the throne room, and God questions him. Ultimately, at the end of their conversation, Satan is given permission to then go and torment Job, to test Job, to see if Job's faith was true. Each of these disciples between the arrest and the resurrection are to be tested. Peter, more specifically. Because Satan wants to make another example. Just as much as he wanted to make of Job saying, "Ah, Job won't hold true. He'll cave. He'll curse you. I guarantee I'll make him do it. He wants to take that approach with Peter. And he never succeeded. Each of the disciples are tested through this night to separate the grain from the chaff. And I find this interesting because even though we focus solely on Peter, what were the emotions of the other apostles? See, we leave them in the upper room and in the garden it's only James, John, and Peter as noted. But I would venture to say that as the crowds come together, the rest of the apostles show up. But here we can pause and reflect on what is happening. Because it is in this moment that Jesus is betrayed. It is in this moment that he is then put on trial. It is in this moment that he is falsely convicted. He will go on to experience flogging. And then... He will be mocked and smacked, spit on, and ultimately crucified. I want to make a note, though, really quick before moving on. Most people don't survive the flogging. It was such a gruesome act that most men that were punished would end up dying before they were would reach the amount of floggings that they had been appointed to receive. And so Jesus survives this only to then go on and continue to fulfill what the prophecies have said to point us to the fulfillment of God's promise. We see this as a moment where the deity of Christ shines through. I couldn't even imagine being a witness in the crowd as they have Jesus chained down and they flog him. I won't get into the gruesome details, but it is, it is pretty bad. It is grotesque. But yet, each time we could always put ourselves as the one who is flogging Jesus. Because it is you that put us there. It is us. And for our sins, that Jesus experienced this moment so as we venture on through the account of his arrest and crucifixion we come to this acknowledgement that he had to die on a cross and it should be well appointed that all of the apostles had maybe started to connect some of the dots maybe not quite fully and maybe not until the resurrection, but in this moment, they could have reflected back and said, huh, I see how Isaiah had prophesied this. Or even I can turn back and think of when Moses wrote Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that there would be a Savior that would come. Or the promises given to Abraham in Genesis 12 and 15 and all throughout all of the Old Testament, there are countless prophecies of a messiah that would come. And I want to focus on just a few of them because they really bring us to the impact of what we experience this night. Deuteronomy 21:23 is a verse that Paul quotes directly in various capacities, but in Genesis 3 or in Galatians 3 he quotes this verse directly. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he brings to the realization of why Jesus became a curse. See, in Deuteronomy 21, it states that it, whoever is hung on a tree, let them be accursed. Paul makes that connection to Galatians. Jesus is hung on a tree, therefore, he has become a curse. More importantly, he has become sin. He took your sin on the cross and he wiped your slate clean. He had to become sin in order so that sin might be forgiven. Paul doesn't say that he was like sin or he just took it in his back pocket. No, Paul states that he became sin for our sake. Our next passage is Isaiah 52 and 53 These two wonderful chapters in this prophecy pointing to the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And I want to look at at verse 5 of chapter 53. This is what Isaiah writes. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed Isaiah making this prophecy hundreds of years before the life of Christ. Spot on to the entire process that Jesus will endure to be crushed for our iniquities. And it is because of this and because of his wounds on the cross that we are healed. It wasn't just those leading up to Jesus. It wasn't just those in the environment that Jesus was around But it is for all time, for all people. Otherwise, Isaiah wouldn't say, by his wounds, we are healed. He might just simply say, by his wounds, some people will be healed. Or by his wounds, maybe this little portion of Israel, this particular tribe, might be healed. But he just gives us this beautiful statement that we are healed to all who believe this. There are many points to which the apostles could have gone back to in the Old Testament to see God's divine plan working through the history of Israel. Beginning with the fall in the garden in Genesis chapter 3 and cascading all the way until this very night. And it is on this night that we acknowledge the death of our Savior. It is this night that we acknowledge that without His death, there is no salvation. Without his death, there is no hope. So unlike the apostles who are scattered like sheep when he is struck, we can look back on this event and we can read the whole story in one sitting. Instead of it playing out over the course of 12 hours or 15 hours or three or four days, we can read it within a matter of a few minutes. We know from the time he enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday to the moment he is resurrected. And we can read that whole account in just a few short minutes. But as Jesus prophesies, when they strike the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. And his apostles do. They all leave him. Every one of them except John. In fact, as Jesus is standing at the cross, they didn't have the courage to go stand there next to him. Because they feared what would come from their association with Jesus. Just as Peter had feared that the night before. That he might be arrested and tried for being an accomplice. We know that only one remained with Jesus at the cross. And the rest after his death and his burial... They go back to doing what they used to do before Jesus came along and called them to follow him. They go back to being fishermen and whatever else their occupations entailed. They didn't know what to do next. They weren't sold to go out into the world to preach because, see, they didn't know what to preach. In their mind, everything that they had taught had been ruined now because their Messiah was dead. How could you preach a dead Messiah to the world? How could you preach the fact that the one we say came to rescue us from sin is in fact dead and in the ground? But thankfully, as we can reflect back, and unbeknownst to the apostles this day, we know that the story doesn't end tonight. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here. Otherwise, we wouldn't gather and, and acknowledge this Holy Week every single year. Thankfully, we can turn back and read this story and we can see that the cross is a place that sets us free. And it is at the cross that Jesus alone sets us free from sin, death, and the devil. But thankfully, on the third day, He will rise again. And when He does rise, this gives us the second part of the ultimate promise. We get the promise of the resurrection. Paul will highlight that extensively throughout his writings. So reflect this night. The trial, the crucifixion, and the death of Jesus. Reflect on why it took the son of god to come in human form to live among us and to die a very gruesome death why does it take divine blood for us to be reconciled back to god why did he have to die for us because as Paul writes, just as transgressions entered through one man, pointing to Adam, so will righteousness enter for all men through one, that being Jesus Christ. So it is only through Christ, through the Son of God, that man can be reconciled. Because no matter how many animals the Jews would go on to sacrifice, if the sacrificial system was still in place today, How many would we have to sacrifice in order to think we have atonement? The number is mind-boggling. How many animals each year we would have to bring or purchase? But thankfully, that is all done away with. Because on this day, we celebrate and acknowledge what Christ has done for us. And looking back on it some 2,000 years later, we reflect and know that the story doesn't end tonight. But it will continue. In fact, the story will not end even Sunday. It continues Sunday. And it doesn't even end with the ascension of Christ some short few weeks later. But it will continue. And it has, for 2,000 years, And it will continue until he returns. So in this moment that Jesus is hanging on the cross, catching his last breath, he says these words, it is finished. He doesn't say it's paid for. He doesn't say I came to do what I should have done or didn't do. But he simply says it is finished. Pointing to the wrath that he is taken on by God, and pointing us to the fact that it was in this moment that we have been reconciled to him. It is in this moment that the sins of the world have been forgiven. And so as we reflect this holy week, as we reflect on this holy night, it is true that Jesus hung on the cross. He had to for our sake. He had to... So that way you have the forgiveness of sin. And that you have hope in what is to come. Because as I had mentioned, the story doesn't end tonight. It continues on. And so as we come together on Easter Sunday, we will see the promise of the resurrection. And this is the whole gospel. Everything hinges on these few days. Amen. If you would please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you with humble hearts knowing the sacrifice that you had endured. Having your son placed on the cross to die a most grotesque death. Lord, we know that it took your son's death for us to be reconciled to you. And we know, Lord, that It is only through the shed blood of Jesus that we have our salvation. It is only through His death on the cross and His soon-to-be resurrection that we have hope. We have everlasting life. Forgiveness of sin. And what a beautiful promise that is on this wonderful and holy week, on this wonderful and holy night, that we can partake and knowing what it took for you and your Son to do for us. We ask, Lord, that you would continue to guide us as we go through this holy weekend. And I pray, Lord, that you will guide each and every one of our hearts and continue to draw us closer to you. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord.